Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center, connecting people to God and each other. We are currently taking a short break from our study on the book of Romans to take a closer look at the events surrounding Jesus' birth. For more information, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Well, we love our kids here at Eden Worship Center. It's one of the reasons we create a giant distraction right in the middle of our service every single week. Because we think our kids are actually more important than just pacify and get out of the way. Like they need to know, they need to know we love them. They need to know you're praying for them. And they need to hear a real gospel about Jesus. I, I did find this cartoon this week that I thought was kind of funny and a good way to start uh, of the priorities that kids have and how they see the world and how they think it works. So this little boy going to his dad with his Christmas list saying, all right, fax this list to Santa Claus, email this one to God, but I'm going to need to talk to grandma directly. That's kind of the, the priority of how things work. We, we have the things that we'd like, the things that we really want, and then, you know, Dad, there's stuff I really, I'm going to have to talk to Grandma one-on-one because kids know if I can get Grandma one-on-one, I can get pretty much anything. Yeah, that's how it works. There are some messages that are so important you have to go one-on-one face-to-face to pass it along. That's kind of the whole thing that we're going to be talking about this morning. We, we've got this kind of goofy series that we're doing on a paranormal Christmas, trying to highlight the fact that we have this everyday normal life that we live, and part of that has become hearing this Christmas story and what is outrageous and paranormal has just become a normal story. Because in America, we're pretty good at telling tall tales and fairy tales and retelling these things until we get to the place where we don't really believe it anymore. So this morning, we're going to be sort of looking at the second part of this, this abnormal, this paranormal Christmas at the idea that there are angels among us. They're there all the time. The reality is most of the time we're just oblivious to what God is doing in the world sort of behind the scenes, except at Christmas, they kind of broke out from behind the scenes. So would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. We're going we're gonna to look at a couple different texts this morning, but I want to start us in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, at the story of the angels coming to the shepherds, passing it along, and for many of you, who grew up in Sunday school. Now, I know that's not everybody, but there's a, there's a healthy percentage of you who, to get a gold star in Sunday school, you had to memorize Luke chapter 2, or at least a portion of it. And I remember with great joy and satisfaction being able to accomplish that because I stink at memorizing anything. So the fact that I got this one, I was pretty excited. So I thought sort of in, in honor of that, would you stand up on your feet? We're going to actually read this from the King James, because that's what I memorized it in. And if I read it from anything else, I'm going to superimpose King James words in. So, little little flashback for some of you here. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. 
And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. They came with haste. They found Mary, Joseph, the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad and said the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray. God, I thank you that there are moments in history where you break from the normal, you break from the routine, and you say, this message is so important that my people cannot miss this. I thank you, God, that this is a real story that happened to real farmers, real shepherds in the field, just going about their everyday lives, and angelic hosts showed up said your everyday life just changed because today has been born a savior. It is the Christ. It is the Messiah you have been waiting for. And he's not just come to save you. He's the Lord. God, I pray that our ears would hear that same message this morning, that our hearts would be open and that we would have the same response that they did where we begin to say to ourselves, quick, let's go see it. Quick, let's rush towards Jesus. Let's rush towards what we have heard to find out for ourselves if he's there. And once we've seen it, God, let us go and tell everybody we meet about it. God, let our hearts be transformed by being close to you, by hearing your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to talk a little bit this morning about this idea of angels how they work, who they are. If I can give you a little three-word thing to sort of stick with you on angels, they are surprise supernatural messengers. Surprise supernatural messengers. The, the word angel in both the Old and the New Testament both means messenger. It's a, it's a pretty simple word. Just means messenger. Now, uh, let me, for some of you, let me ease your minds right from the beginning. We're not going to have a big study on angelology or the doctrine of angels. Although for the nerds among us, I have uh, posted a big, long thing on that on the church's Facebook site. So you can just be blessed. Get on there. The rest of you get to stay awake. Congratulations. Because <laughs> if we'd done that, you'd all be sleeping. Uh, but even though maybe we're not super into doing a big, long study on it, almost every American cares about this. Uh, in fact, back in 1994, Newsweek had an issue called In Search of the Sacred, and in it, it said that 20% of Americans claim to have had a revelation from God, 
and 13% claim to have either seen an angel or sensed an angel's presence among them. Now, it doesn't say that those were Christians. It doesn't say that those people knew Jesus, loved Jesus, served God. It just says that Americans are pretty interested. In fact, we're so interested in the spiritual and the angelic that Newsweek, a secular, not necessarily has a great history of honoring God in their magazine, is going to run a whole thing dedicated to the search for the sacred. Why? Because we're kind of obsessed with it. We're obsessed with the supernatural, and I want to, I have too much material here to just go off too far, but I want to suggest we're obsessed with it because it's there. We think about it because we know deep down inside there is something more than what we see with our eyes in front of us. Angels are mentioned 196 times in the Bible between the Old Testament and New Testament. And almost every time they come as surprise messengers. Remember the word angel means messenger. Almost every time it's a surprise. You very rarely see anybody, you know, go to their spiritual cell phone, pick it up and say, "Uh, God, can you just send an angel over here real quick? I need to talk to him. I got a question. Like there's the Google angel. You can ask him questions. It doesn't happen like that. Like, God is in charge of dispatching and recalling angels, not us. Uh, That's important because there's been a couple of denominations who have sort of got into the thing of fixating on angels, and then they're, they're calling angels, and they're sending angels, and they're doing this, except we're not in charge of them. Okay? Now, you can... I, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. You can, you can do that. You can pray that all you want to. I can also stand here and shout into this microphone and demand that the United States Army invade Canada. They're not going to do it. Uh, in reality, the United States Army won't even hear me. Are you with me? Because they're not taking orders from me. Pretty simple. Uh, mentioned 196 times in the Old Testament, New Testament, almost every time they're surprised and they're not planned, and almost every time they show up in some supernatural, awe-inspiring, you know it, you know it's not just your average, normal, everyday person. In fact, I have a quote here from Paul Taylor. He says, angels in the Bible never appear as cute, chubby infants. They are always full-grown adults, and when people in the Bible saw an angel, their typical response was to fall on their faces in fear and awe, not to reach out and tickle the adorable baby. Like, that's a pretty important thing. Like, if, if you come into contact with an angel, you are most likely going to fall on your face in fear and panic and awe and reverence for these spirit messengers from God. And yet, I'm guessing there's a whole bunch of us And I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying it's the cartoon version who have little fat half-naked babies with wings. Some of them have like halos and harps and like there's one little evil angel who has the arrow who keeps shooting people and making them fall in love. Like when did shooting people become a good thing? I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. So let's look at some of these appearing of angels, some of this sightings of angels among us to the people who are involved in this Christmas story. So we we started reading out in this passage of Luke chapter 2 as the angels show up to the shepherds. And I I want you to get in your mind that this was an, an average day for the shepherds. This was just an average day on the job. They didn't, they didn't work this up. 
by trying to accumulate enough faith. They, they didn't stir it up inside of themselves so much that God decided to come speak to them. They were just doing their job. They were just out in the field being smelly with the sheep. You know that because what time of day is it? It's nighttime. They are sleeping in a field with sheep. You don't smell good when you do that. If you don't believe me, go try. don't try it right now. You'll freeze to death. But they were out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and it's quiet. Other than, I don't know if sheep snore. Our dogs snore like crazy. So there, there are certain ones of our dogs we cannot allow in the bedroom while we're sleeping. We have one dog you can't allow in the bedroom because she will jump up on the bed and then lay on top of you, and then you die. Like, she is, she is humongous. Uh, but it's quiet. Like, this is a peaceful time and the angel totally ruins that by showing up. And look at what it says their response is. They were, now if you have the King James, it says they were sore afraid. They were terrified. We were saying it today. We, they were freaked out. They, their first instinct wasn't like, oh man, it's an angel. And then he like turned around and try and take a selfie with the angel in the background. Right? Uh, this was a freak out moment. And not only is the angel so bright and shining, but did you notice it said the glory of the Lord coming from this angel was shining all around them. So what was darkness and what was this normal sleeping nighttime is suddenly illuminated like it's the brightness of day and they are sore afraid. See, here's the thing. Angels are messengers and this message was too good to wait. This message was too good to pass on. And he says, unto you is born today a Savior that is Christ the Lord. Now usually, angels work undercover. Usually, the the angels that God is having do things on this earth, we don't even know about it. Like we are unaware that it's happening. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. What happens here is God deviates from the plan book. He deviates from the normal, and this does actually become a very paranormal night. This is different. This is too important to let people just figure it out on their own. In fact, it's not just the shepherds that the angels appear to. There are several obvious, not not behind the scenes things where, where somebody has, you know, like one of those dreams or a feeling. Like this is an out there, in your face, I know I saw an angel, my life has changed forever, appearances that happen surrounding the birth of Christ. Flip back in your Bible, maybe just a page to Luke chapter 1. And we're not going to read this whole story, but I want you to, probably two pages here, I want you to be able to see the context of what we're talking about because before the angels show up to talk to him about Jesus, the angel shows up and talks to the guy named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. See, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. Do a little uh, Amish connection here, which is always the favorite thing to do when you run into people in, in... public, and then they're like, okay, now who's your uncle? (laughs) It always cracks me up. Uh, So Mary's cousin Elizabeth 
and her husband, Zechariah. Now here's, I, I'm not going to read the story to you. You can read it on your own time. Uh, it's Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, sort of tells her story. So if you want to jot that down, you can read it on your own. Here's, here's the basics of it. Uh, the angel Gabriel, which verse 19 tells us that it's the angel Gabriel, surprises, again, right, surprise messenger, surprises Zechariah at work. I love that. Both the shepherds and Zechariah, they're at work. Now, Zechariah is a priest. So his job is being before the presence of God. He's in there. He's all by himself. And all of a sudden, next to the altar, is standing this bright, shiny dude, this angel of the Lord. And verse 12 tells us, we're in Luke chapter 1, verse 12 says that he is troubled when he sees him and fear fell upon him. We've had that feeling before where something, something either we see it or we think it or we hear it and suddenly fear falls upon you. You can almost feel it hit your body. And that, that inner feeling of like <gasps> dread. For some of you, it only happens when you see blue and red in your rear view mirror, right? Fear falls upon you, right? Uh, again, uh, coming into the presence of a supernatural being created by God infinitely more powerful than you or I is a rather awe-inspiring, fear-inspiring moment. But here's the thing. The angel, the messenger, has a message, and he says, this is about your son, whom you will call John. And by the way, this is John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, who's going to end up being Jesus' second cousin-ish, something like that. Uh, and here's, here's how this goes down. Uh, if you look in verse 18, Luke chapter 1, it, the angel tells him this, and Zechariah, verse 18, said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, I want to point a couple things out here. Zechariah did all right on part of this. Okay? Uh, he says, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, but my wife is vintage. That's all right. Like, he didn't say, I'm, I'm an old man. My wife, mm-mm, wrinkled up. No, big mistake, guys, right? Uh, my wife is advanced in years. <laughs> I'm just old, right? Uh, so that's, that's okay, guys, if you want to steal that one. Here's, here's what happens, though. He says, how am I, look at verse 18 again. How shall I know this? Okay, I, I get what you're telling me, that we're going to have a baby. Now, we're, we're old, and we're going to have a baby, which... I don't even think is humanly possible anymore because her uterus is all dried up. I don't know if you knew what a uterus is, but was that too? I've done a lot of school presentations the last couple weeks, guys. I'm really sorry. I've said uterus and ovaries a lot. So uh, that's, that's the reality of what's going on, okay? Uh, she is unable to reproduce. And he says, okay, how will I know? How do I know this is true? I want to, see, I want to know this is true. How are you going to convince me that this is what's going to happen? Because I'm not just going out on a limb on this thing. Like, you have to convince me. How am I going to know this is true? And I love what the angel does here. Uh, he actually says to him, all right, you, you, you want a little clue? You're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months. Till this baby is born, until you see it in front of you, you're not going to be able to speak. And just like that, he can't speak. And maybe, depending on what, uh, how you read the end of this story, because when they go to communicate with him, 
They have to make signs to him. There's a chance he couldn't hear either. Right? So all of a sudden, Zechariah's life changes in this moment of meeting this angel. A little bit of time goes by. This baby is born. It is a little boy. And as, as part of Jewish tradition, they take him on the eighth day to be circumcised. And in that time, you sort of brought him into the community. And then the community fathers would gather around and they were the one who officially placed the name on this baby because Zechariah wasn't speaking up they were going to name him Zechariah after his father somehow he'd communicated with Elizabeth though and she goes no 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 his name's supposed to be John don't name him Zechariah and they look at him they go you don't even have a John in your family there's no way that this guy's name should be John because this is outside the norm of your family and in that moment Zechariah's lips are open, which I really wish we could have heard what that sounded like. To not speak for nine months and then have those words surprise you out of your lips. No, his name's John! All right, his name's John. Settle down. <laughs> Good grief, right? Uh, every, here's what happens. Here's the result that comes out of this. Everybody who hears it says, okay, if this is the circumstances by which this child was born, what then will this child be? And everybody who heard it in that area and in the surrounding areas, it says, the hand of the Lord was on them and fear came over them. This is a big deal. What just happened here is a big deal. Now, the question is, why is that tied to Christmas other than timeline? Because this is right in the same time, we're going to see in a second, the same time that Mary is going to be carrying a child. They're, they're going to run into each other and have this little fetus-to-fetus encounter, which is kind of exciting. Fetus means unborn child. You guys know that? Okay, good talk. Uh, why is this important? Because John was the one that God had picked to go before Jesus and say, prepare the way of the Lord. The Messiah is coming. And then he got to be the one amongst all the people on the planet to be the first to go, there he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not a bad job. Kind of exciting. Uh, Joseph, uh, that was Zechariah and Elizabeth. Joseph, Dad, talked about last week. And I, I just want you to sort of make a, a note. You don't have to turn to it. But Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 through 25. And I want to read just a little bit of it to you here, and I think I have a slide of it. Uh, Verse 20 says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, this wasn't a weird pizza dream like Dad talked about last week. This is one of those where you wake up in a cold sweat and you know exactly what just happened. And by the way, most of you have not had this type of dream, so you don't know what I'm talking about. Joseph didn't wake up going, I wonder if that was a dream. He knew exactly what had just happened. This was an angelic visitation appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This baby and your job as a father are too important for you to just try and figure this out on your own. I'm going to send a surprise supernatural messenger to tell you. Man, you gotta, you gotta, Dad painted a great picture of this last week. You gotta put yourself back in time in that moment when you're, you're engaged to this person 
for a year-long engagement, but there has been, because they had some pretty strict rules back then and some good ways of enforcing it, zero crossing of the sexual line. Not once, not even close. You with me? Then your girlfriend, your fiancé, turns up pregnant, and everybody is either going to do one of two things. They're going to they're blame it on you. And by the way, the penalty for that under Old Testament law was you take boyfriend and girlfriend and you bring them in the center of town and then you stone them to death because God said sexual sin is a big deal. You with me? Or everybody's going to look at him and go, dude, she cheated on you and you're an idiot if you marry her. Either way, either way, a gigantic social nightmare. This is too big for him to figure out on its own. It's too big for him to carry around resentment for the next 20 years because he knows this kid isn't mine. Now, come on, that rings into 2013 a little bit, doesn't it? Right, families that are just pulled apart by what is an unspoken tension in the room all the time, but we don't ever talk about it. I'm not sure. Evidently, maybe sexual sin still is a big deal. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew the word of God was right? This is too important, Joseph, for you to figure it out on your own. Let's look at Mary. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. We're not going to read all of this. I, I want to just hit a couple bits and pieces here. We just get done hearing the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And she's pregnant which is weird. I mean, just picture your grandmother pregnant. <laughs> we ain't talking like some young grandmother. We're talking old grandmother pregnant. This sticks out in a crowd. Are you with me? Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, In the sixth month, which I believe is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel, oh, same guy, it's interesting that the Bible actually goes to a length to tell us it's the same angel. Same angel that talked to Zechariah. If you flip back into your Old Testament, you actually see it's the same angel that talked to the prophet Daniel all the way back in the Old Testament. Not too bad. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And She's just, again, she's going about her everyday life. And this surprise supernatural messenger shows up to this young teenage girl who had no idea this was coming. Like she hadn't been going to Messiah mom classes for a while to learn how to be a good mom to the Messiah, you know, how, how to handle being pregnant as a virgin. And she hadn't, she hadn't been going through this stuff. This was completely out of the blue completely takes her by surprise. And here's what he says to her. Verse 28, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. What's her reaction to seeing an angel? Verse 29, but she was greatly troubled. Not just at seeing him, she's troubled at what he's saying to her. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Why are you saying this to me? Who, I, I'm a, literally, I'm a teenage girl in a flea-speck little town. 
Why are you saying this to me? He's troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. Now these were words that Mary was familiar with. As a young Jewish girl, she knew what people were saying about the old prophecies, about what all the old men were talking about, this Messiah who was one day going to come. They knew he was going to come and sit on the throne of David. They knew he was going to come and be Emmanuel, God with us. They knew he was going to save the people from their sins. And all of a sudden, this angel is talking to her, this tiny little teenage girl, and saying, by the way, this is going to be your baby. Except there's this huge problem with that, which she gives us in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Did you notice she asked a slightly different question than Zechariah did? Zechariah in in the face of this miraculous proclamation of the power of God that's going to be at work in their family, he says, yeah, but how do I know? How do I know this is true? How do I know this is what's going to happen? Mary didn't say that. She's, She's bewildered, and she goes, I don't understand how this could even be. This doesn't, this doesn't fit into how the world works because I'm, I'm a virgin. I don't, I don't understand. My, my brain is literally not big enough to figure out how this is possible. Gabriel gives her a very different response than he gives to Zechariah. Uh, look back just real quick in your Bible a little bit earlier when he's talking to Zechariah. Verse 18, the angel, Zechariah says to the angel, how will I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. How does Gabriel respond to that sort of questioning? Like, God, I know you've said this. I know you sent this messenger to tell me, but I want, I want further proof. I, I want to be able to figure this thing out on my own. I want to be able to get a hold of this so I can be in control of it. So I can manage what's going on in my life. Here's Gabriel's response. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good, can you just picture him saying good news with like a scowl? It's good news. It's, you know, kind of intense. This good news, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I said it. You didn't believe it. Shut up and wait and see it happen. Kind of intense, right? He actually, and by the way, I don't, we don't get to do this. Like, just in case you're taking notes, like, right on. <laughs> I'm going to be doing this. Like, somebody questions you, and you're like, you don't know who I am. I'm Gabriel. <laughs> now, Gabriel can say that, but uh, he can't follow it up with, I stand in the presence of the Lord, and God sent. Like, that's, like, that's kind of a big thing. He, he pulls out his, his ID badge and goes, uh, check it out, dude. Probably shouldn't be asking a whole lot of questions. Look back at Mary. This is a very, very different response. Verse 34, 
And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's not saying, God, prove it to me. She's not saying, God, and uh, by the way, why is this a huge deal? Because part of the question here is the same question you and I have before we get to, you know, throwing stones at Zechariah. God, I know that you're kind of saying this stuff to me, but I've got this thing in the back of my mind that you're going to ask me to do something, and then you're not going to come through, and I'm going to be totally screwed. I'm going to look like an idiot, or I'm going to mess up my life, and everything's going to be terrible because I'm not positive that you have my back. God tells that guy, shut up and watch. It's a totally different thing on this side when Mary goes, God, I can't even fit this in my mind. I'm not saying you got to prove it to me. I'm just saying I, I can't even comprehend what you're saying right now. Look what he says. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child born to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And he goes on to tell her, By the way, your relative, Elizabeth, she's pregnant. That that sort of old lady who has felt sort of lost and an outcast because she was barren, she wasn't able to have kids, and the whole family kind of talked about it, every family gathering. Like if you had a new baby, just try not to bring it in front of Elizabeth because she kind of gets emotional all the time. Right? Because it really bothers her. Because God was setting something up to be able to say, by the way, that, that one... She's pregnant. There's miracle stuff going on, and I love, I love what he says here. She's already in the sixth month of the one who was called barren, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 37, get out a pen, underline it, for nothing will be impossible with God. God, how are you going to do this? I don't know, but nothing's impossible with God. God, I don't understand how you can take a situation that it's this terrible and turn it into good. I don't either, but nothing's impossible with God. Lord, I don't understand how someone could be going through this and still know that you're good. I don't know either, but nothing's impossible with God. Maybe sometimes we need to pull the Zechariah thing and shut up and watch. Shut up and wait and stop trying to figure out and manage it all ourselves and believe that nothing is impossible with God. And different from Zechariah, because the angel says, you didn't believe what I said, she bought it. This tiny little teenage girl who had no business believing this type of good news believed it. Kind of cool. Now, just in case we saint put the halo on her too quickly, Immediately after this conversation where he goes, oh, and by the way, your cousin's pregnant, she hops up and hightails it to go see her cousin. I'm going to see. She either is or she isn't. If she's six months pregnant, I'm going to be able to tell. Right? Uh, She goes and sees. Man, I haven't looked at my notes in a long time. See what happens when you study this stuff and then you get kind of excited about it? Dangerous. I only got an hour and a half more. Stick with me. (laughs) She goes, verse 41, right? She goes to check it out for herself. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting, can't you just picture this? She goes to their house. She knows where they live. She goes to the door. Elizabeth, 
<laughs> like she's freaking out the whole time she's on this journey. She's doing it. Like, is she going to be pre- Seriously, there is no way when I get there, she's going to be, I can't. Okay, I, I got to believe it because he said it. But Elizabeth, right? like you can't even wait to like, can you go tell Elizabeth that I'm here? Like she's going through the house yelling, Elizabeth, is this true? Can God actually do this? Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's awesome, because Gabriel had already told Zechariah, this baby is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. I'm guessing it happened right here. The same that it can for you and I, because it is the Spirit of Jesus that fills us with his Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes into the presence of this little unborn baby, this fetus, this child in the womb, and he leaps and is filled with the Holy Spirit, and so is his mom. Not bad. Put that on a Christmas card. That's good stuff. Get excited about that. And she exclaims, verse 42, in a loud cry. (laughs) A loud cry. Isn't it interesting that it tells us it was a loud cry? You know how you know it was loud? It was loud enough that it made it into the Bible. You ever been in a room with somebody who has a volume control level that's like broken? Izzy, Izzy lived with a broken level. I'm not sure it's fixed now. <laughs> you know, heaven is, is lit by the presence and the glory of God, but you hear it thanks to Izzy. Like, in a loud voice, she cries out, Blessed are you among women! Blessed is the fruit of your womb! Now, I don't know if uh, you have anything of a Roman Catholic background, but we just had three quarters of the Hail Mary prayer in this chapter. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Jesus. Can I just make a little comment? It is right to give honor where honor is due. This was awesome. This was not only a God-honoring thing. This was, according to Elizabeth, worth shouting about. But, (laughs) the second part of that prayer, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. These two things happened within six months of each other. Actually, a lot closer than that. So within the same little time frame, these two phrases get spoken over her. Then we're going to wait 1,500 years to tack the thing on the end. It wasn't until the 1,500s that that last phrase, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death, was added. So if you like repeating things from the Bible, you just go ahead and repeat that first part. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation if you say the second part, but I'm not... I'm not sure why, you know, oh, hey, 1,500 years later, I got a good idea. Let's tack this on. Are you with me? Here's why I bother to mention that. Uh, I have a lot of family that is Catholic, and I dearly love them. And based on my experience of things that I have talked with them about, things I've prayed with them about, things that they have said, I have a very wholehearted assurance that those people have salvation that they have trusted in Jesus as their Savior. As a denomination, as an organization in the world, I think you put yourself on shaky ground when you build what you think on unbiblical theology. 
Okay, we just had a, a small delegation of people go to this theology conference, which I think is awesome, that Jay and I, uh, we're going to go to this conference, like, just in case you want to be bored, on the five solas of the Reformation. The five, you know, I know it's <laughs> bored except for Jason. Uh, the, the five things that they said, sola, this alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, in the scripture alone, by grace alone, to the glory of God alone. And then we went and sat for two days and heard theological presentation after theological presentation. And when things kind of turned out weird where our wives didn't get to go, eight other people joined in, or eight people all together went to this thing to celebrate the glory of God through theology. Mm-mm-mm-mm. That's the deacon hum that we learned from... Uh, <laughs> And you really like them, mm, 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 mm. or you can go say it again, right? All right. Uh, anyways, here's what happens though: if you don't build it on the scripture, and the scripture alone is your ultimate authority, you are going to build. This is biblical. You're going to build it on unbiblical, something outside of the Bible, maybe even something that pits itself against the Bible. Unbiblical theology will not lead you into salvation but into speculation. Let me say that one more time. Unbiblical theology will not lead you into salvation, but speculation. And by the way, I'm going to encourage you to hold on to your stones that you would want to throw at a church that's been around for about 1,800 years because we've only been around a handful of years and we still get into all kinds of unbiblical theology. Super quick. Well, I know if I want to be saved, I have to act a certain way, look a certain way, dress a certain way, go to this church, do this, don't do that. Now, there are all kinds of good things that are going to follow as fruit, as evidence of God's salvation, but you are never, ever saved by the things that you do. You cannot earn or merit a single thing. It's by grace alone. Are you with me? Anything that we add, right? Don't look at somebody else. Look at us. Anything that we add to the gospel is unbiblical theology. And it will not lead you towards salvation. It'll lead you into speculation. Well, I think we should do this. How many churches have broken up and fight and are still fighting today over, well, I think we should do this. Here's a good answer to that. Who cares what you think? I'm not saying that to be crass, but seriously, who cares? All I gotta do is wait about 80 to 90 years and you'll be dead. And the word of God stands forever. Huh, not bad. All right. <laughs> say it again. I will say it again. <laughs> there, was a, <laughs> there was a pastor named Leonce Crump, which anybody with a first name that's Leonce? All right, <laughs> all right. Uh, some of you are familiar with the rapper Lecrae. Uh, he's Lecrae's pastor. And he loved making fun of us poor white people. <laughs> and he would, he would talk about how he has these white pastors on staff with him. And one of them will be preaching. And you got all these, like, congregation members who know how to talk back to their pastor. Because they're used to him. And, you know, somebody will yell out, say it again. And then he's like, uh, I will say that again. <laughs> 
It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, so back to the angels thing. As Americans, we have this fascination with spiritualism, with angels, with spirits. And it's part of this pendulum that we have that in our country you can track our fascination with realism. Like I want it to be real and concrete and see it in front of me. And then a generation will go by and they'll see how that didn't quite pay off for mom and dad. And so now this generation's into mysticism. I want to feel it. I want to experience it. I, I know there's more out there. But you could track this in like the 50s and 60s with, with concrete realism. And then it, it swung into the late 60s and early 70s with this mysticism where if you really want to find out, well, man, maybe there's these mind-altering drugs that I can take that are going to open up another reality that I know is out there. And then their kids see like pothead mom and dad, and they go, okay, let's swing back towards realism. Because I don't think all those bad acid trips took them anywhere. And now you have another generation that is kind of swinging over towards mysticism, and there's this huge fascination with the occult and with the spiritual, and even with things that sound almost Christian, as people talk about Jesus and angels, but most of the time they're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. Because they're building on un biblical theology. That's why we talked about that a second ago. Like you can have an awesome belief about angels and I think it's something like 98% of Americans believe in angels. That's stupid. Because it's like it's a significantly small number who believe in God. It's like saying I believe in my Mustang but I don't believe that the Ford Motor Company exists. Rocking. You really thought this thing through, didn't you? Good grief. All right. Uh, here's what we like. I, I was thinking about this. This cracks me up. We love tiny little chubby naked baby angels, like harps, clouds, things like that. Here's what we don't like. Uh, we don't like uh, full-grown adult angels, especially if they're scary uh, or have swords, even worse. Like we want babies or paw angels. That's, that's basically what we want. And if you're old enough like me, you remember... When we found out Paul Ingalls was an angel, and it just, it all made sense, right? It, let's, let's look a little bit at what the Word of God says rather than what our generation says. Hebrews 1, 7 says, of the angels, he says, by the way, he here being God, not what you or I think, he makes them angel, he makes his angels winds and his ministers flames of fire. We're talking about spirit beings here. We're not talking about something that is primarily human, although they show up in human form a lot. Daniel 8, 17, and this is from the New Living Translation, uh, says, as Gabriel approached the place, remember, same angel here, where I was standing. This is Daniel's commentary on running into Uncle Gabe here. Uh, he approached the place where I was standing. I became so terrified that I fell on my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events that you have seen in your vision relate to the end time. What just happened? The same angel, uh, angel Gabriel comes into Daniel, the prophet, who has seen all kinds of crazy, awesome things. And as soon as he sees this thing, he falls on his face. And the angel goes, by the way, are you awake down there? This message is too important for you to miss because what I'm about to tell you has to do with the end times. Don't mess this up. Are you paying attention? It's serious stuff, like when angels show up. Kind of cool. Uh, but again, we don't like angels with swords. Genesis 3, 24. Adam and Eve have sinned and they're driven out. 
of the Garden of Eden. They're driven out of their intimate, close presence of God. And from this point on, God just starts painting this picture through all of humanity of what it was going to be like when the Lamb of God comes and takes away the sins of the world. And we again have access by grace into the presence of God. But it says in Genesis 3.24 that he drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim. By the way, if you do a little Old Testament study on cherubim, get on the Facebook thing. Uh, look at that angel doctrine thing. You're going to find out cherubim are the wicked, scary ones. Like, you think Gabriel's scary? Wait till you run into a cherubim with like four heads and six wings and flaming swords shooting out their mouth. Like, you don't even mess with these guys. And a flaming sword that turned in every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Now here's, here's where the rubber hits the road. We don't like anything, including angels, who tell us what to do or what not to do. I want you to think about that. These are supernatural messengers from God who come with a message, which means they've come to tell us something that we need to do or not do, but we don't like that. We like them. This is why we like fat, naked baby angels, because they don't tell us anything Every once in a while, they'll shoot somebody and make them fall in love, but that's it. But when a big, scary, powerful, something bigger than I comes along and tells me, you have to do this, or you have to not do this, you have to go here, you have to say this, like Zechariah, we go, how do I know? See, I want to be in charge of this thing. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I know you got this message to deliver, but I'm not so sure that it's trustworthy. Here's why I think this becomes a gigantic problem. Because Americans don't like Jesus for the exact same reason. The exact same reason. Because Jesus comes as a messenger from God to deliver the gospel to us, and we don't like it. Because it says you are a fallen, sinful human being who your best attempts at holiness and righteousness are going to be worthless filthy rags, because you're not just fighting against your sin, you're fighting against the whole tendency of a sinful humanity from the foundation of the world. Let me give you a little perspective on this. We had this little thing in the last century called World War II, right? As a part of that, there were some horrible things that happened in Nazi Germany. Horrible things. That the vast large percent of the population were not a part of. They may have had some knowledge that something atrocious was happening, but they did not physically do it. And then most of that generation has died. And you have their children and their grandchildren, and maybe even their great-grandchildren, but I'm telling you, for decades, when you ran into somebody with a sharp German accent, one of the first things that went on them was the idea that they come from a Nazi society. If you're like me and you grew up in the 80s, you met someone with a strong Russian accent, you knew they were communist. And all the sins of communism went on them. You went someone with like a, a middle Europe accent to their voice, you knew that there was a chance that this person might be a vampire. You know what I'm saying? Steer clear, stay in the sunshine, right?
All right, a little bit of humor to illustrate the point that that's just us. That's just stereotypes. That's just us putting thoughts of things that aren't real. Except as humans, we actually inherited the sins of our fathers. The New Testament tells us that by one man, Adam, all men sinned and all men died. But by one man, Jesus, all have been made righteous. Who have put their faith in him. Here's the problem with you or I trying to be righteous. We're fighting against the sins of all humanity for all time. All of the rejection of a holy God, and you and I are just not that good. You could atone for your sins, great. You can't do it, but great. You'll never be able to climb the mountain that atones for all of the sin of humanity that got put on you because you inherited it. Can't do it. You need a Savior. By the way, this is the whole point of Christmas. This is the whole point of having a paranormal Christmas, not just another year come and go. This is the whole point of giving people dreams to say there's a Savior coming, don't miss him. It's the whole point of angels showing up to say there's a Savior coming, there's a Savior born, don't miss him. In the next couple weeks, we're going to be looking at the prophecies. Prophecies coming out of the Old Testament. There were prophecies in the New Testament saying this is who this baby is. It's the whole point of it. It's a Savior, don't miss him. It's the whole point of the virgin birth. Like, it's a weird thing for God to do. I'm just saying. Like, it's weird. Hey, just let her get pregnant normal, but make it a special kid. Except you go having virgins, having babies, everybody knows it. That this kid is born with a reputation. Because God was saying, don't miss this. Don't miss this. One last scripture and we're done here. Uh, flip to the back of your Bible, Revelation chapter 1. It's the last book in your Bible. Revelation chapter 1. The whole point of the Christmas story, the whole point of what our kids are learning in their classes, the whole point of the fact that families like us who have been busy and haven't got around to decorating our house yet have plans for this evening, getting our kids together and decorating our house for Christmas. Anybody else in that boat? Uh, I know, we're bad people. Uh, is so that we have one more opportunity to say to our kids, this is Jesus, don't miss him. This was big, don't miss it. Revelation chapter one is this story, it's this book that the Apostle John writes after having this revelation from God about the things that were happening in his time and how they would parallel to what would happen at the end of time. This angelic, glorious being has been speaking to him. John wants to get a better look. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 says this. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw, and I, I'm just going to skip through here for time. Verse 13, one, like a son of man. Remember, that was the phrase that Jesus got called through his ministry. What he called himself, son of man clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. Now, I was cool till we got to flame of fire because that sounded like, like golden Santa Claus for a second, right? Verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. 
In his right hand he held the seven stars, and from his mouth came two sharp-edged swords, and his face was like the sun shining at full strength. In other words, he turns around and is face-to-face with the scariest living being he can imagine, and it's so bright, it's like staring into the sun at the brightest that it's ever been. Kind of intimidating. When I saw him, by the way, this is a good response to seeing Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. Good. That's good. Let me give you the best Christmas quote you're going to come across this year. Here are on Facebook. You may have seen this already. Jesus did not start out as a baby in a manger. He was always Almighty God, and he became a baby so that he could become a man and save mankind. Sometimes we think of the Christmas story as the beginning. This was not the beginning. This was the beginning of the last chapter. Like, there was a long story. There had been an entire history of Jesus being the Son of God, being that second person of the Trinity with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And then there was a whole chapter where God creates the world. Then there's the whole chapter where God creates man. And then man rejects God as if we can thumb our nose at God and walk away and reject him except God is sovereign and God was in it because he was setting himself up to look even more glorious when he reclaims that which didn't want him. When he ransoms by his son that which had rejected him. The manger was not the beginning for Jesus. He was already almighty God. It was the beginning of him becoming a man, becoming a baby, so that he could grow up and ransom and save all of mankind. There's never, ever been another baby like Jesus. His story's too big to miss. That's why the angels had to come. There's never been anyone who lived like Jesus on this earth, intentionally taking our place. There's never been anyone who could say what he said in Revelation. I have died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And by the way, I didn't just die and come back to life barely, but I beat all of death and all of condemnation for those who believe in me, so much so that I now hold the keys to death and hell. devil's not in control of this one. I got it. I got it. Same message that went out to the shepherds where he says, guys, guys, don't miss this because unto, unto who? Unto you. To you. To me. It's born this Savior. It's not just going to barely save us. Because yeah, he's the Messiah, but he is Christ the Lord. He is God eternal. All of a sudden, Christmas songs can become pretty cool when you realize that's God's call to you. And then we look at each other and we go, oh, come, let us adore him. Stand up on your feet and let's respond to the word of God, to the grace of God by worshiping the Lord.